I always want my kids to eat healthy, real foods, but as a busy working mom with two kids, I don't have a lot of time to shuttle from store to store. That's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable, and they quickly ship straight to your door. Everything is organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. At Thrive Market, you can get organic and essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products, and clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. I love stocking up on Larabar, sunflower seed butter, and seaweed snacks, plus non-toxic cleaning and beauty products. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. If you want to get more real whole foods in your family's diet without spending a lot of time in the kitchen, having simple, easy kitchen appliances is the way to go. For me, the one appliance I can't do without is the Vitamix. When I received it as a Christmas present a few years ago, I admit I was skeptical because I already had a blender, but the first time I used it, I was hooked. Unlike other blenders, the Vitamix blends everything up into a super smooth consistency, much like a juicer would, except you get all the nutritious fiber that regular juicers leave behind. And what I love most about the Vitamix is that it isn't just for smoothies. Every Vitamix has an entire range of textures to choose from, so you can use it to make dips and spreads, nut and seed butters, hummus and guacamole, muffins, pizza dough, plant-based milk, and frozen treats. Vitamix has been around for 70 years, and all of their blenders are powerful, durable, and built to last and come with a full warranty. To get free shipping off any Vitamix purchase over $50, just go to my website, julierevelant.com slash shop and click on Vitamix. This is Food Issues. In every episode, we bring you experts to tackle the real challenges around feeding kids and offer practical insight to help organizations, communities, and parents create change. I'm your host, Julie Revelon. There's been so much talk about mindfulness in recent years, but if you've wondered what mindful eating is, this is the episode for you. Mindful eating, not a diet, no menus or recipes. It's really more about how to eat. That's Dr. Susan Albers, a New York Times bestselling author and clinical psychologist at the Cleveland Clinic who specializes in eating issues, weight loss, body image concern, and mindfulness. We'll talk about why mindful eating is one of the best healthy eating habits for kids, how it can turn picky eaters into little foodies, and quick and easy ways to practice it at home. Dr. Albers, welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me as a guest today. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we connected many years ago, back in 2015, um, when I was writing for Fox News, I interviewed you. I had to look this up, but I interviewed you about food addiction and how to deal with stress without overeating. Well, I, I was so grateful to connect with you and you did amazing stories on food and issues related to kids. And now I'm following you. 
Oh. I, follow, I follow your <laughs> blog and you have wonderful information that you share with the world about eating, about kids. So thank you for the, for the content that you share with the world. Th- thank you so much. So let's start with your story. So why did you become a clinical psychologist and how did you get interested in mindful eating and weight loss and body image? Yeah, you know, it's funny how one door opens another door and sometimes you never expect those doors to open. So if I take you back um, to to uh, earlier in my life, my initial plan in life was to become a veterinarian. Wow. <laughs> yeah, totally different, right? Yeah. My my father's a veterinarian and we I grew up in, it was a bit of a family business in that my mom was the veterinary tech and ran the business. My sisters were involved. And so as anybody who's an animal lover, you, you just know it's so great to be around animals. But uh, working at the animal hospital, one of the things that I really quickly realized is that a lot of it is not just about working with animals, but about talking to people. Because when you bring your pet in, you can't, they can't tell you what is wrong with them. It's really communicating with the, the owner and observing, observing a lot of the pet behavior to understand how it is that they're feeling. So this was sort of my, my intro to psychology. I took a behavior psychology or a animal behavior psychology class. And really it was about people and communicating. And it kind of opened this door to psychology that I had never even considered. I was doing a lot in the office of talking to people and communicating, observing, and it got me really interested in psychology. But then fast forward in my life, one of the questions that people really want to know is how I became involved in mindful eating, because this has been my life. It's my mission. I travel the world talking about it. I'm on TV. I'm really spreading the message about mindful eating and how that became part of my life. And the story that I share with people, and probably if you've read any of my books or seen me speaking, you've you've heard the story because it was so transformational. It's such a part of what changed my thinking about eating and has been part of my philosophy. And it really relates to two words that completely changed my life and continues to impact me today. And I'll share those two words with you, but let me tell you the story. So when I was um, a young adult, I was an exchange student to Japan. And I was, I'm from Ohio, little town in Ohio. And it was one of the first times I had really traveled. I stayed with a host family. And one of the things that I realized really quickly and what they introduced me to was this word of mindfulness. Now I knew what the word meant, I had read it before, but I had never really experienced it. It was really the first time I experienced mindfulness because everything that we did had an element of mindfulness from sitting down to do origami where we would hold the corners really specifically and carefully or taking off our shoes before we came into the house and placing them really neatly and mindfully um, in their place or even eating the beautiful presentation and slowly sipping tea. So I was really experiencing mindfulness, but there was one day in particular that was transformational for me. And these two words came up. I was in Kyoto, which if you've ever been to Kyoto, Japan, you know that there are many, many temples there. And I was on a mission to see as many temples as I could. I was was sightseeing that day. And I was 
by myself and I had my guidebook. And I very specifically remember, if you have been to Kyoto, you know, one of the most famous sites is the, the rock garden. And probably many people have seen it. There's some large rocks and it's, it's almost like a, like a field of smaller rocks. And it's one of the most famous temples and rock gardens, places of meditation in Japan. So I was sitting on the side of this rock garden and, you know, being a teenager and or young adult, and I was looking through my guidebook and thinking about where I was going to go to eat and what, what temple I was going to go to next. And all of a sudden I got a tap on my shoulder and this tap on my shoulder, I looked to my side really, really cautiously. And there was a monk sitting next to me. And this monk said something to me. I could tell he was a monk by the way he was dressed and mm-hmm. how he was sitting. And he said something to me in Japanese. And I had no idea what he said. None. <laughs> no idea. Because, you, know, you know, at that time, I knew how to say, you know, bathroom and hello and goodbye and things like that. But I didn't know what he said. So I, I nodded politely and smiled and looked back in my guidebook and hoped he didn't talk to me anymore. And he tapped me again and said the same thing again. And I smiled and nodded my head and looked in my guidebook and thought, oh my gosh, he's still talking to me. <laughs> and then he tapped me again and he looked me in the eye and he said, be here. And, you know, it kind of struck me like lightning. Even as I talk about it, it kind of gives me goosebumps yeah. because he was dead on. I was there in the most famous place in Japan, the most uh, amazing place of meditation. And I wasn't really there. My uh-huh. head was in my guidebook. I didn't see one bit of it. I was thinking about the next place and not even experiencing where I was sitting. And I got it. I mean, I, you know, as young as I was, I folded up my guidebook, I put it aside, and I started to look around me and really take in the sights and be present. And those words have stuck with me and really been part of my philosophy um, about eating. Because as we know, we can eat an entire plate of food, not taste one bite. That at the table, we are often eating and not really there. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's and, a powerful story. Yeah. You know, and I take those words. That monk follows me around everywhere, you know, <laughs> tapping me on the shoulder. When I'm sitting in a meeting and my mind starts to drift off, I hear those words be here. When I'm sitting at the table and, you know, I'm thinking about all these other things, I remind myself to really be here. and. If you read any of my books or know my philosophy about mindful eating, it's really about how to be here and be present when we eat. And that's hard. You know, today we're talking about kids and families, not an easy concept to do. That's great. So in your practice, what do you find as a common theme around kids and families and mindless eating? Do you think that anything has changed over, you know, our generations? Absolutely. You know, kids are really natural mindful eaters. And just to take a step back and talk a little bit about what mindful eating is about in general, mindful eating, not a diet, no menus or recipes. It's really more about how to eat. A lot of times with uh, food plans, we talk about the what to eat. If you're eating sugar or gluten or, or vegetables, And with mindful eating, it's more about the how to eat, all the different habits that we have around food and experiencing food from how it tastes to 
the way that we're eating. So that's a little bit about the general concept. And I know we'll get into a little bit more specifically. But with kids, kids are born natural mindful eaters. And if you have kids and you're listening right now, you you really know this because if you try and feed a baby that is not hungry, they will push that food out of their mouth. Yeah. Or if they're really hungry, they are fussy and hangry. I mean, parents know they do not leave the house without a snack because it is going to be dangerous. And so they start out really mindful eaters. And as they grow up around the age of like one or two, and when they start developing language, the food starts to take on a different meaning. It becomes about reward. Sometimes it becomes around punishment. Um, it becomes a treat. And our, their perception of eating really starts to change. Probably you asked about the different generations. In counseling, I have a lot of parents who come in who were raised under the clean plate club generation. And they realize how much that kind of warped their relationship with food. And what I, what I talk to parents about, I, what I didn't really, many people didn't realize about the clean plate club, that's something we kind of joke about, we talk about, but that it was actually a, a movement that was in 1917 that was an act of, of Congress that was intended to, um, after World War I, to encourage people not to waste food because food was legitimately difficult to come by and there were shortages and things like that. And so at the time, it was really relevant to the culture. Fast forward to today, and it takes on a very different meaning, this uh, clean plate club, when many people have access to food and are eating at restaurants with big portions and things like that. So I have a lot of parents who come in who say, I was raised under this clean plate club generation. I don't want to encourage that with my kids because I know that's not healthy and it's, it's not, a, not a relevant concept. And they also don't want them to struggle with food. I recently wrote a book that's called Eating Mindfully for Teens. And the reason I wrote it is because I, I work at the Cleveland Clinic in individual therapy. People come in, we, I work on all kinds of eating issues. And the number one thing that they say to me if they're parents is that I don't want my kids to struggle with food in the way that I did. Right. And they... They really don't want that because they've spent the past 40 years struggling with food. And at age 40, 50, they're really trying to undo it. They want their kids to start off on a really healthy foot with food and um, enjoy food and not have it be such such a struggle. Yeah, that is definitely a challenge, I think, for our generation. I know I grew up that way for sure. You know, whether it was it was said or implied, it was always you had to eat and you had to finish what was on your plate. And I remember, you know, family members saying, wow, you eat really slow, like mm-hmm. as though that was a bad thing. Right. Um, so yeah. <laughs> we hurry kids up a lot, don't we? We're like, hurry up. Hurry right. Up. right. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And so, you know, the pandemic has affected our, our kids in so many different ways, but how would you say that it's affected their eating habits? And do you think that we're coming out of that now and have learned lessons from that? Yeah. You know, I think that with the pandemic, I noticed some pluses and minuses to the eating environment. On the upside, in working with parents and even my own two children, 
Um, that time out during the lockdown period and people were not going out to eat, there was a real increase in sitting down at the table and eating together as a family. Sometimes for the very first time, there was that time was built in. People weren't running off to soccer practice and events that people were eating at home and cooking. Sometimes, I mean, because you pretty much had to, right? Kids were becoming much more involved in cooking. I know for my family, we were one of those families who looked up the bread recipes and we were making bread left and right. And it's not because we, you know, that it was something that everyone else was doing, but we had the time to do it. We had the time to uh, make the dough in the morning, let it rise, make it for dinner. And my kids got very involved in cooking in a way they hadn't before. In fact, we started to have theme nights that kids would pick a, a particular theme, whether it be, you know, Chinese food or pizza night or burger. Night. And they would plan a whole menu and decoration. I mean, they, oh, they, really got, they really got into it. Now, the downside of the pandemic, as we know, is that it caused a lot of stress and emotional eaters for kids. Kids, and I don't, I don't have to tell anybody who's listening, kids were stressed out during the pandemic from the change in virtual uh, school to being at home, being isolated from their friends, a lot of the stress and anxiety that they were just feeling in the world. They, um, they really struggled a lot. And so for the first time, some kids were at home, just feet from their kitchen and turning to food to soothe and to cope because a lot of their other coping mechanisms were pulled out from underneath them. Right. And so the National Eating Disorder Association noticed about a 70% increase in their call to the helpline during the, during the year of the pandemic. So it was incredibly triggering for people who had underlying eating issues. This really, the pandemic brought it to the surface. Also, uh, being at home, you know, kids, a lot of kids, while parents were doing their work in the other room, were responsible for making some of their own meals, having their own snacks. So depending on how much education that they had before, some kids were great about it, taking charge, getting snacks on their own. And some were kind of nibbling mindlessly all day, you know, not really kind of on their own. So it really varied, I think, depending on what the circumstances was were. There were some upsides and some downsides. Yeah. And do you think that we're on a better path now or are we still sort of picking up the pieces from all of that? I definitely think we're picking up the pieces. I think, as you said, some of the lessons that have learned I think at this point, we're able to look back and say how the, the pandemic impact our eating habits as families, as, for, as your teens and kids. Um, but I think going forward, this is a great opportunity to slow down and say, okay, what, what did we learn from the pandemic and our eating behaviors? And what do we want to carry forward? Like the cooking. So for our family, we were like all about the cooking, which we were super busy. And that, that was a very helpful. Now each kid takes a night and that's, that's their night. So we're going to carry that forward. The part that is difficult though for families is if it triggered some food anxieties or overeating or mindless eating, it's really recognizing that and getting some help moving forward. 
Yeah. And so for parents who have kids that are mindless eaters, what are some of the issues that can result from that? Yeah, mindless eating, it's, it really can change and kind of warp your relationship with food. When kids are mindlessly eating, they're often overeating, which does not make them feel good. Can we can lead to weight gain, but more importantly, it can really change their enjoyment or relationship with food. Um, my, with, with my own kids, we were, we were talking about this concept of, of mindful eating and that we, we have a, uh, an example of a friend who the parent bought the child a, a pound of M&Ms and this child went through the pound of M&Ms throughout the day, ate the entire thing and was literally sick by the end of the day. Cause we all love M&Ms, but he didn't really have an understanding of how to, how to moderate that. He was eating them really what we would call mind, mindlessly. And after that, he never wanted to touch M&Ms again. Once we wow. got sick, once he got sick on a food, that, that was it. Yeah. It really changed his relationship to food. Um, but mindless eating just over time, it impacts health, it impacts emotions. It can be really stressful for kids to feel like they're overeating or emotionally eating. Yeah. I think a lot of the conversation in the U.S. around childhood obesity is all about the food, right? And so what would it look like if we really started this whole conversation around mindfulness and mindful eating? I am very hopeful that that is the direction it goes. Right now, there's a lot of emphasis on obesity and almost, I would say, scare tactics instead of putting a healthy spin on helping kids to eat in a mindful way. And that's one of the cons. That's what I love about mindful eating is that if we were in a room and asked who wants to eat more mindfully, everybody would raise their hand. Even the most healthy of eaters could eat in a more, in a more mindful way. And when we focus on things like obesity, even the word, it can bring up a lot of shame, a lot of negativity. And so I love the concept and I love sharing with, with people because I think it could be very helpful concept. We focus a lot on what is known as that diet culture. And if there's one thing that if you're listening and, and are a parent, um, I think that we can help kids to identify is diet culture around us. And diet culture is this idea of that thinness is more important than anything else that you could, should go to any length to um, make fitness your goal and your, your value. And we see it quite a bit in ads for different products. Um, we see it in the way that people talk to each other about dieting and a lot of diet chit chat and weight loss. I've talked about this a lot with my kids and my 11 year old one day was watching TV and there was a ad for a product that was some sort of like weight loss pills. And he turns around and he's like, mommy, I, I, there is, that is diet culture. And I was like, <laughs> wow, he has got it. We've, we've almost made it into a game of being able to spot diet culture when it happens um, because it is all around us. And that helps kids to not get sucked into this idea that it's about thinness. And instead, mindful eating focuses on health and having a healthy relationship with food. Yeah, that is so important. So we're going to go to a break right now. When we get back, we're going to talk about the core principles of mindful eating. 
Hey friends, if you've got kids, you've got picky eaters. And as a mom of two, I totally get it. There are foods my kids flat out refuse to eat or foods they love one day and the next, not so much. Still, through the years, I've learned the secrets to raising healthy, adventurous eaters. And I want to share what I've learned with you in my free video course, Turn Your Picky Eaters Into Little Foodies. In this course, you'll learn some of the most effective ways to get your kids to eat their vegetables, try new foods, and how you can put an end to picky eating for good. To sign up, all you have to do is go to julierevelant.com and click on freebies. So in our last segment, we were talking about diet culture and how to help our kids identify it because it is all around us. And so let's talk a little bit more about mindful eating and what are the core principles that we should know? So parents often get overwhelmed by this idea of where do I start with mindful eating? I identify five different behaviors that you can start with that can lead kids on a path to mindful eating. And there are five what I call the five S's of mindful eating. They're very easy and things that everybody can do, but they're a great start on this path. So the first S is to sit down when you eat. Of, you know, Often we are nibbling while we're standing in front of the refrigerator or over the sink, making sure that it, it's fine to eat, but if you eat, just sit down and sit down at a table, which research has shown has helped, helps you give it your full attention. And my motto is only eat off your feet. There was a study that showed that people who ate while they were standing up ate five times more than when they were sitting down. Wow. So this is, you know, that's a really easy thing that we can teach our kids to do. If you're eating, just sit down at the table. So that's, that's the first S. The second S is to slowly chew. And this, isn't that one easier said than done? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We all, we all want to eat slowly. We all know we should, or maybe, or that would be helpful is a better way to put it. Um, but it's hard to do. So one of the things that I do with my own kids, and it's often very fun is having them eat with their non-dominant hand. So I'm right-handed putting the fork in the left hand and you would be amazed at how, <laughs> how much that will show you down. Research says about 30% eating with your opposite hand, because it's a little bit like writing with your with your opposite hand is that you can do it, but it's it's not easy, not easy to do. And the um, so that's, you know, my um, my daughter was watching TV one day and she was little. And she said to me again, you know, um, she was watching Scooby-Doo and she said, Mom, Scooby-Doo is not a mindful eater. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. He, w- he had his Scooby snacks and he was just popping them one after another into his mouth as quickly as possible. And I thought, oh my gosh, she's right. And she took her little blueberries and she was eating them very slowly and very carefully. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's totally got it. And she was very little at the time. So, so you know, cute. little kids can get the concept of mindful eating. You know, this is something that you can start when you, they are very little. Okay. So that's the second S to slowly chew. And you can role model that as a parent to eat slowly instead of, as you said, avoid that, avoid that urge to say, hurry up. 
Yeah. When you eat. Isn't it isn't it tempting as a parent to say, hurry, hurry up? Yeah, because we're always in a rush to get to the next thing, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And um, the third S is to savor your food. And that's to really taste it. As I said before, you can you can eat an entire plate of food and not taste one single bite. And that's something that you can work on. One of my favorite exercises to do as a family or if I'm introducing somebody to the concept of mindful eating is to buy about five different kinds of apples, you know, getting a Granny Smith, maybe a Gala apple, a couple different, different types, cut them into slices, put them on a plate, each slice, and then have everybody do a taste test of these apples and rate the apples in terms of rank them in terms of the one they like the best to the least. And it's such a great example of mindful eating because it's, it's so fun to watch kids do this because they'll eat it really slowly and, and they're really like tasting it. And then they'll compare it to the other one and they'll say, this one is sweeter than the other one. And I don't like this one because it's got a little bit of sour and they'll fight over which one is the best one. And it's such a fun way to get them to A, slow down, B, really taste food. And you realize an apple is not just an apple. There are many different tastes to an apple. And there are some that you like and some, some that you don't. That's great. I love that. I also do it with chocolate. And that one, that one is fun too. I'll get different percentages of chocolate. So I'll get a milk chocolate, a white, um, maybe one with some berries in it, and then a very dark chocolate. And same thing, little square, line them all up and have kids taste each one. And they love this. It's almost like they're on one of those um, cooking shows or uh, like, they're, like they're the judge and they'll talk about it in, in that way. So fun. Love yeah. that. That one is savor. So again, so we've got sit down, slowly chew, savor. And then the next one is simplify. You know, making mindful eating easy for kids is, is something that can really really be helpful. And that's about location. You know, I I say location, location, location with food and snacks for kids. One of the easiest things that you can do to help them to eat more fruits and vegetables is to put a fruit bowl in an easy to see reachable site right on your counter. You'd be amazed at how often when they can see it, that they will actually eat it. And that takes a lot out a lot of the pressuring kids or trying to encourage them, but letting them take charge of it. The other thing is in the refrigerator, making sure that there is a shelf that is designated for them that's at eye level, making sure it's at the front because a lot of those fruits and vegetables we put in the crisper drawer and we shut it and we can say goodbye to it. We never see it again, you know, when it is out of sight, out of sight, out of mind. And so simplifying, putting those, we also, um, this was more before the pandemic is that I had a snack bowl that was located right next to the doorway. And so as you were going out of the house, you could reach in this snack bowl. It had some granola bars and like healthy portable things, nuts, like packages of nuts and some mandarin oranges, a variety of different snacks. And before my kids would exit on their way to practice or on their way to school, they could reach in the bowl and take whatever they wanted or needed with them. And this significantly cut down on one, them being hangry 
during the day because they had a snack with them and B, wanting to stop for food along the way on the route home. They were much more able to be in charge of their own hunger because they had a snack with them at all times. So that's an easy thing that parents can really do. Yeah. And it puts them in control too, right? They're empowered to make their own choices. That's a great idea. I mean, I, I could control what was in the bowl, but they really felt empowered because they could choose what they wanted from the bowl. It was kind of a win-win, I think, for parents and, and for kids. Yeah. And then the fifth S is to smile between bites. And this is something that parents can really demonstrate. What it's really about is taking a pause moment as you're eating to check in with yourself and your body to see, am I still hungry or am I full? You know, often we just dive into eating and we don't take a breath until we stop. And so taking a smile between bites helps to slow you down and also gives you that moment, pause moment to say, you know, am I still hungry as I'm eating or should I just kind of stop here? And my, my daughter often says she, over, before she really worked on this concept, she was uh, overestimated her hunger. She would go to a restaurant and order more food than she was really capable of, of eating. Uh-huh. That was kind of her mindful eating curve. Um, but really slowing down and talking to kids about when they want to get something to eat, asking them, how hungry are they? Because um, a lot of kids are doing a lot of boredom eating. They're not really hungry. They're looking for something to do and they're hanging around the kitchen. And eating feels very purposeful. We're often drawn to it for that reason. Yeah, that's great. So last week in episode seven, we talked to Dr. Yami about intuitive eating, and, and mm-hmm. that's very much along the same lines of what you just spoke about. But the two often get confused, right? Even I'm confused by really the differences. Can you talk about the difference between intuitive eating and mindful eating? Sure. I, I like to talk about them. They're very similar in a lot of ways. And I, I like to talk about them as being like fraternal twins. They're similar, but they have a lot of their own differences and uniquenesses. How they overlap in the way that they're similar is the first part is rejecting dieting culture and rules. With mindful eating, it's really about um, not following rules, but your internal sensations about not following a rule of, oh, I shouldn't eat after eight o'clock because that's what my diet says. It's about, am I hungry? Or am I not? So they both share that, getting rid of diet rules. They also share this um, notion of um, eating for enjoyment, that that is perfectly okay. That is something that they both share. With diet culture, there's a lot of guilt and shame. And intuitive eating and mindful eating are not about that at all. Where they differ is that intuitive eating has 10 principles and very specific principles that it out, that they outline. And it was developed um, by two dietitians and it's continued to evolve. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a great concept. Mindful eating is a little bit different only in the sense that it uses kind of different language. The key principles of mindful eating are about awareness awareness of taste, awareness of your hunger cues. It's also uses the word non-judgment. There is no judgment of yourself, of, of what you're eating, trying to take a much more neutral stance and the word observation, um, observing 
yourself. So in some ways, it's really very similar, but the key terms are different. And if anybody wants to learn a little bit more about this on my website, I have some free downloads and it talks about, you can put in your name and it'll send right to you the key principles of mindful eating. It's great for parents. You can print it out, hang it up on your refrigerator. It's easy for kids to read as well. Um, But whether you're doing mindful eating or intuitive eating, whatever you call it, if you are developing a healthier relationship with food, you're on the right path. That's great. And so does the research show that mindful eating can prevent eating disorders? Yeah, there's a lot of great research on mindful eating. There's a recent review study that looked at all the all the research studies that are out there on mindful eating, and it consistently found a few things. It helped to improve people's body image. Uh, mindful eating helped to reduce emotional eating. It helped people to stop uh, or avoid binge eating. And it is also what's interesting for many people is that it's also helpful for people who are experiencing eating disorders. And so there's clinical research that backs up that it's helpful for all of those. And it's also helpful for weight loss, whereas that's often not the particular goal. It does sometimes happen because when people are more mindful of their cues, they're naturally eating maybe a little bit less. So studies have also shown that it's helpful um, for people who have been struggling with their weight. Um, what's it, what I emphasize is that, again, not a diet. So if somebody is interested in weight loss, what they what the research has shown is that it is slow and steady weight loss. It's not like the diets that are the magic. You're going to lose 10 pounds in two weeks. It's not like that. It's really um, when you become aware of your body cues and eat according to that, your your body tends to go to a natural weight that feels comfortable for you. Right, which is so much more healthier anyway. So we talked a little bit about this, but, you know, as we're all returning to normal, we're, you know, we're all finding ourselves running to sports and after school activities and just everything else that we did before. And so I find this really hard with my own kids. You know, we have practice and we have 20 minutes to eat. So how do you prioritize mindful eating when you are trying to fit in dinner or rushing around? Yeah, you know, and, and that's just the reality sometimes that you're going to have meals that are a little bit quicker and faster. And I think one of the myths about mindful eating is that it takes a lot of time, that you have to have like these long periods of time. But really, in some ways, it's a shift in mindset as we, as I talked about in the beginning of really being here, of encouraging your kids when they are eating, even if it's just for a few minutes to give it their full attention and presence, sitting down at the table, even if it's for you know a short period of time, putting away their phone and putting screens aside. I'd say if there's one take-home message, and this is one that parents struggle with quite a bit, is about making the table a no screen zone. And that's often hard, hard to do because kids have their, their phones with them at, at all periods of time. Um, one thing that parents can do is to have a like a, a box or a station in in their kitchen where kids can plug it in before they sit down at the table. And once they're they know that it's not um, 
a screen zone. It's, it's amazing how often they can retrain their behavior to leave the screen aside because screens are one of the number one triggers of mindless eating when you're eating and looking at your screen at the same time. Yeah. And so can it make meals less stressful? Yeah. I mean, because when you are present, you can talk to each other and you can slow down. You can um, really breathe and relax, enjoy the food, the company without feeling rushed. And sitting together at a table, even if you can only do it once a week, um, that's great. You know, fit in what you can in having a family meal. If you can't, um, you know, just making meals feel like they are important in some way, that food is important, not just something that's in the way or always, always rushed. Great. Well, we're going to head to a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about how mindful eating can help picky eaters. If you want your kids to eat more fruits and vegetables, try new foods and eat better overall, getting them in the kitchen is one of the best things you can do. I've seen how cooking has helped my own kids be more adventurous eaters, and it's given them a ton of confidence. But if cooking isn't your thing, the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. The Kids Cook Real Food eCourse, which was created by a mom of four and former elementary school teacher, is designed to build connection, confidence, and creativity in the kitchen. In this course, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping list, and kid-friendly recipes like egg, fried rice, and homemade pizza. The course is designed for all kids ages two to teen and has three different skill levels. Your kids will learn how to crack eggs, cook rice, make a salad, safely use knives, the oven, and appliances. If your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions, no problem because the course has a ton of substitutions. My kids and I have taken the course and it was so easy to follow along that my kids made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken the course and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. If you're trying to cut down on processed foods and get your kids to eat more real whole foods and become healthy, adventurous eaters, then the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. You can sign up for the course by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. In our last segment, we were talking about how mindful eating can actually make your meals less stressful with your family. And so can mindful eating also help picky eaters explore new foods and kind of get out of their picky eating ways? Yes. Now, if you have a picky eater in your life, you know, I've had more parents who've come in who are pulling their hair out at at picky eaters because they want their kids to be mindful eaters. I say, do not panic. It's kind of natural for kids at an early age to be picky eaters. And that's often something that they grow out of. But don't give up. Research indicates that you need to expose your kids about like seven to 10 times to new foods for them to really like it or try it. So don't don't give up. Mindful eating can help in that, you know, present things like presentation is important. And for picky eaters, one of the things that matters to them often is how food looks. 
you've probably seen kids before who will look at a plate and say, nope, not, not going to eat it. Right. Just by how it looks there. It's touching something or it's not presented well. So taking some time to be mindful of how, how things are presented on a plate, making it colorful or, or, um, cutting bread into shapes and things like that can help picky eaters to try some new things. When kids are a little bit older, a great mindful eating experience is to introduce them to foods from other, other cultures as well, because it's, it, that's a natural mindful eating experience. When you try foods that are not familiar to you, you naturally slow down. You taste it and you say, mm, you know, what is this? Or is this a different spice or a different, different texture or a different, different flavor? Um, and also um, with picky eaters, the texture, the texture of food often is difficult for, for kids as well. So paying attention to that and talking about the different tastes and textures and making food fun, allowing them to, to play with it and um, uh, describing the colors, it can be helpful for picky eaters as well. Yeah. And I love your tips about the, the food tasting. Are there other ways that we can recruit our senses into a mindful eating experience. Smell is really important as well. Kids will judge if they will eat something by smell <laughs> as well. But we often we often don't give that a lot of attention unless it hits us over the head. Like if you walk into a house and you smell cookies, we we instantly want them or bread or something like that. But really smelling our food impacts taste as we all know. So things like um one of my favorite exercises as well, and one of my favorite foods to recommend to stress eaters are mandarin oranges because they're, first, they're very portable. They're easy to peel, much easier than uh, man, or, uh, like navel oranges. Mandarin oranges are little, and you can almost do sort of a mindful eating experience with them as you peel them. You peel them slowly, but Nothing smells better than a mandarin orange. Bringing it up to your nose and really taking a whiff of of that. Research has shown that citrus is one of the most calming scents that that there is. And so, just kind of taking a nice whiff of that, and each different segment, you know, you can really slow down and and eat and make sure that you take a whiff. Also, in my workshops. I give everybody a one piece of chocolate. It's often a Hershey kiss. And one of the things that um, I ask people to do as they're opening it is listen to the sound of the crinkle as they're opening up the foil. Uh And you'd be amazed at how many times people are like, gosh, I never, I never even tuned into that. The, the sound of the crinkle of the foil. And after that, every time they open up a piece of chocolate, they notice that noise. And that sound. I also have them bring it up to their nose and take a nice deep whiff of that chocolate. And it's interesting. I ask the audience often, like, what what does that trigger for you? How often this the uh, scent of chocolate brings up either thoughts of guilt or craving or memories, good memories of Easter chocolate or chocolate they've eaten um, on a birthday cake. Some really positive memories and some negative ones. So smell is a really powerful sensory 
experience around food and one to pay attention to and one to help your kids to to appreciate. Yeah, that's great. And so can mindfulness also strengthen the mind-body connection? Definitely. That mind-body connection is incredibly important. One um, study that I find really interesting is that people who do yoga are score very high on mindful eating. And one, it may be that they're, they're more interested, but the theory behind it is that people who do yoga, they are very attentive to how they place their body. So as they're doing certain movements, they're, they're really paying attention to their body in space and they're paying attention to what's their breathing, what's going on in their mind. And it creates this very um, important connection with their body, which is exactly the same skill that you need when you are eating in a mindful way. I find that mindful eating, when people start learning about it, people come into my office, there's this ripple effect that first they're like, okay, I've got this mindful eating and I'm being more mindful in my life around food. And then they're like, well, you know, I kind of apply the same concept to my relationships. I started to be more mindful in my relationships. I put down my phone. I looked people in the eye. I was really listening. I was really connected to what they were saying. And then more mindful of when they're taking a walk, they're looking up at the sky, they're feeling their feet against the ground. So it's interesting how once you get the concept of mindfulness, it permeates really throughout your whole life. Yeah, that is so important for kids, especially because of high rates of anxiety and mental Mm -hmm. health issues now. That's great. So you have two kids. And so you know how tough parenting is on on every front, every aspect. And this sounds like a concept that it's very nice to have, right? It has a lot of benefits, but maybe a little too much for parents who are just trying to get through the day and to feed their kids. So how do you practice mindful eating in your family and how can we make it easier for ourselves? Yeah, you know, I I think one of the things that is throughout all my books, I've written several books on mindful eating, is recognizing that the skills have to be really practical and easy. Because if they're not, no one will do them. And the people that I work with in my office, they're often busy. Um, they're involved in a lot of things, my own family. So I know that they have to be things that people can actually really do. Kind of like the one about eating with your non-dominant hand. That takes one second, doesn't take a lot of time, doesn't take additional skills. It's something that, that we, can, we can all do, particularly those five S's of, of mindful eating. I think um, one of the first things that families can do is start using the the word, the language. You know, if there's one thing to start with is getting rid of the diet chit-chat, diet words, things like you should, you shouldn't eat that, that food is bad, and start moving over to this language of mindfulness. Asking your kids, you know, you know, are you eating mindfully? And using that concept. And it's interesting how they will adopt that same language and get rid of some of those shaming words around dieting and food. So if there's a place to start, just start with using the terms and the language. And it's amazing how much it can transform your family. So as I was preparing for this interview, I was doing some research and I found uh, a few places throughout the U.S. that teach mindfulness in school. So there's a Foodie U was a pilot program in California, and then there was a school in North Carolina 
um, I guess that was using the program. And so it got me thinking, you know, what if we taught mindfulness in schools? Because certain schools will, will teach, you know, general education around healthy eating. Although I've always felt like that conflicts with the school lunch that they serve, but that's another topic for another day. Um, but what if we taught mindful eating to our kids? Like, what would that look like? How would that help our, our nation? I love that. I'm the first one to sign up for that and to volunteer from it, <laughs> you know? And, and I think there's very practical ways we could do that of some of those exercises I talked about, about eating, you know, savoring food and probably the biggest one and it's almost an administrative thing is giving kids enough time to eat. Even in my, my own um, children's school, this is one of the, I wouldn't say that the things that I, I brought up is that they would come home every day and say, by the time I went through the school lunch line, I didn't have time to eat my entire lunch. And so, and I brought this up to the administration. They said they cut down on the lunchtime so that they could make more space for other things. And that was the first thing that they were shaving off time of. And I was like, "Mm -mm, that's, you know, this is contrary to mindful eating and teaching kids to slow down and eat and emphasizing the importance of eating and even impacting cognition. Many studies have shown that how well kids eat and getting enough fuel impacts their concentration level, their focus, their engagement, their memory. So, you know, it's, it's to weave it into the school system makes a lot of sense because it impacts learning all, all over the place. And so I guess um, if your kids are coming home and saying they're not having enough time to eat that, I mean, that's one place to, to start and to, to think about in the school system. But, you know, it's, I think it's a concept that um, they could introduce into a lunch time of having a mindful eating experience and just giving kids a, a taste of it and how much that would benefit down the line. You think about healthcare of that. If kids started out with some lessons and experience and mindful eating, how much, if we track them down the line, that it probably would save on healthcare costs. It would, it would save on therapy because they'd have a better relationship with food and all the way down the line. So I'm a huge, as you can tell, I'm a huge advocate of it. And I think that that would be a fantastic addition to the school systems. Yeah, I know this year my kids would learn the zones of regulation and a lot of mindfulness practices in school, especially because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I think that could just be a game changer for sure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I read your book, uh, 50 More Ways to Soothe Yourself Without Food, and I've actually read it several times. I've always referred to it because I, too, am an emotional eater. Um, I struggle with it from time to time. And so what are your favorite uh things that parents and kids maybe can do together if one or the other are, are struggling with emotional eating? Yeah. You know, that by far has been, I've written now nine books and that one continues to be the most popular 50 ways to soothe yourself without food, because we all do it. Don't we? Even if we are healthier eaters, we use food to soothe in a lot of ways. So I'll, I'll answer that in two parts. I guess I often get in my soapbox a little bit with, um, because we have all been raised this way of parents using food to treat and reward, um, to reward kids. You did a good job. Let's go get ice cream of trying to move away from that model. 
And instead of using food as a, like ice cream as a reward, reframe that as being a treat and trying to reward kids either, you know, naturally or with other things. And that's hard to do because we often use food in in that way. In regards to things that, that parents can do with kids and teaching them to do some self-regulation, um, there are some fantastic mindfulness exercises that help them to calm and soothe without going to food. Um, uh, there's um, some, some exercises you can do in terms of like one that I do with my kids is it's about like um, being, being a bird. And as they are imagining, it's an imagery exercise, and they um, are supposed to imagine both flying and regulating their breathing at the same time. And, you know, when kids are really anxious and upset, telling them to calm down is the worst thing that you can do. Nobody ever calmed down by telling them (laughs) to calm down. But giving them some strategies and tools, particularly breathing and some, some phrases that help them to calm down is great. In my book, I walk people through so many different like cognitive exercises, mindfulness exercises, um, different um, strategies that uh, like natural um, alternative medicine. There's all different kinds of exercises that are very easy to do. They don't cost any money. That was one of my criteria in the book. If you if you've read Fifty Ways to Do Yourself Without Food, you know that none of them uh, are either cost any money. They have to be things that people can do at any any time or any place. Right. Yeah. And so you say that mindful eating is a lot like picky eating. And I find this really fascinating. So tell me, you know, what that means for parents who have picky eaters. Well, some sort of discerning eating is not a bad thing or not unhealthy, I should say, in that we eat a lot of mediocre food in the world, like just food that is not very good or not very satisfying. And the example that I often use is chocolate chip cookies. I love chocolate chip cookies, but I don't love every chocolate chip cookie. They have to be homemade, soft, you know, certain, certain temperature. I, you know, I'm very, what I would call picky about my chocolate chip cookies. If it is not that I could pass it up. I don't want to eat a a hard cookie that I buy from the grocery store that it just doesn't interest me. So teaching kids to be a little discerning about what they're eating, if they don't really love it, then pass it up. You know, and I'm not saying about like certain, um, they can learn which foods that they really love. When you start quizzing kids about food, there are some fruits that they just love and adore. And if that is what they love, great, you know, and that's okay if they are, there are some foods that they really like. It's, it's okay to be a discerning eater. You think about foodies and people who really um, enjoy food. When they eat it, it is an experience. They're really tasting it. They're thinking about the spice, the taste, the texture, and they're becoming a little bit of food experts. It's, it's great to have kids watch some of these um, cooking shows that have the judges because they can hear how judges talk about food, that it's not just about eating it. It is really about tasting it and they can get a little bit of a picture of how to do that. And so one final question for you is who do you think we should interview on food issues? 
Oh, there's, there's, there's so many different people. I think that are great experts. The, the, um, writers of intuitive eating. Oh, that would be amazing. They're they're (laughs) fantastic. And Dr. Albers, where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? My website is eatingmindfully.com. And if you want to also follow me on Instagram, it's Dr. Susan Albers. I also have a Facebook page and I also have a TikTok as well. My TikTok, I focus on foods that help uh, reduce stress eating. So you can join me on any of those platforms. I have nine books that I've written about mindful eating and soothing without food. One of them is for teens. Although it says it's for teens and tweens, it is probably if you want a really good introduction and primer to mindful eating, that would be the one because it's a workbook. The concepts are very easy, straightforward. There are some exercises like the Apple one that I talked about and just great for the family. It's one that I say, parents buy, you kind of peruse and then leave it sitting around the house and you'll see the teens pick it up. <laughs> you know, you don't even have great. to give it to them. They'll just peruse it. So eatingmindfully.com is a great intro point to getting all my free downloads and information. Excellent. And we'll link to all of that in the show notes. Dr. Albers, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. A pleasure to join you today. That was such a great interview with Dr. Albers, and I really love her idea about those chocolate tastings. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a second, go into Apple Podcasts, and leave a review and a rating so we can reach more people. I'm Julie Revelant, and thank you for listening to Food Issues. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com and on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 